Good Wednesday morning, and today we'll be talking with John about the three quotations that changed the way he thinks. This is a three-part series, and you're jumping into part two, so if you haven't listened to the first one, feel free to jump back. Additionally, two plugs. If you're enjoying this, please subscribe to the podcast or the YouTube channel where we post these videos. And additionally, if you have a question for John that you'd like him to answer, you can do that by either going into the descriptions of whatever you're watching this on and clicking the link, or you can go to www.johnpatrick.ca forward slash ask. So now we're getting into it. This is the second quotation that changed the way John thinks. Um, this comes from the 12th century. Um, and it was certainly a turning point. By this time, um, we had started the Augustine College project and I used to have lunch every week with uh, a philosopher, uh, Graham Hunter. Uh, he's written uh, He's writing a book on Pascal, which may be nearly finished now, but uh, he's a, a wonderful, uh, lucid man. So if you can find anything by Graham Hunter, it's always worth reading and thinking about. But uh, he maintains, I discovered this piece. I thought he discovered it, so we, we both take credit for discovering it in, the sen- in our lives. But in the 12th century, Bernard of Clairvaux wrote this. He said... Um, some seek knowledge for the sake of knowledge. That is curiosity. Others seek knowledge in order that they themselves may be known. That is vanity. Others seek knowledge in order to sell it. That is dishonorable. And finally, there are some who seek knowledge in order to edify others, and that is love. That hit me like a two-by-four because I was guilty of the first three and not the fourth. Uh, I'm a professor and what we do is indulge our curiosity. I usually say that when you're a good professor you're allowed to play with very expensive Lego uh, and then when you're tired of it you write a paper about it and ask for some more money for a more expensive set of Lego and so it goes on. Uh, 99.9% of what's done never turns out to be any great significance. Uh, That's just the way it is but every now and again of course it is. So I had lived a life of indulging my curiosity since I was a child. I never lived any other way. I was curious about almost everything, so that made it worthwhile. I didn't feel any need to disturb other people's lack of curiosity, so I went through school not saying very much, uh, never writing anything down, uh, and passing the exams because I had a superb memory as a gift from God. I was made to be a professor. If the job didn't exist, I'd be unemployable. So, guilty of charge one, living for self-interested curiosity. The next one is worse, of course. There are some who seek knowledge in order that they themselves may be known. I mean, you go wherever you like. Most people are wanting me up front, so to speak. Now, you have to do it to a degree, because if you want to go on as an academic, uh, it's publish or perish. And so you uh, collect what used to be called a curriculum vitae, uh, 
an account of your life. Most people call it a résumé now, which is a French word with less meaning. But uh, I prefer the CV, except that I now call it curriculum vanitas. Uh, it really gets up the nose of my academic colleagues when I refer to my CV as my curriculum vanitas, but that's what it is. I mean, you write the paper you need to write, and some that you write because you actually care about them, and some because, well, I could do another publication this year. I always had a few in my desk drawer that I hadn't published, so that if I had a lean year, I could publish them. They weren't very important, but they would publish easily enough. When I actually left the university and cleared my inbox, uh, which I hadn't done for years, I, I found a paper right at the bottom, actually, which uh, had been accepted for publication with a few minor edits, and I never got round to doing it. That's how much I, I, I cared about publishing, because I know that the average scientific paper is read by six people, including the referees. Uh, they don't read my papers, they weigh them uh, when, they, when you go for a job. Uh, who's going to read through 100 plus papers? No one is there. So, reasonable journals. Hmm, you'll be okay. They haven't read any of it. But that's the way it is. Uh, Jesus, who never wrote anything in a permanent form, we, we remember because he knew that he could put what he wanted to say into narrative and those stories would last forever, which they are. Uh, there are a few people who write, come close to it, like Shakespeare and Dostoevsky and a few others, but uh, most of them know. So it is a curriculum vanitas. All is vanity, says the, the preacher. All is vanity. And he knew a lot about what he was talking about. So I knew about vanity. And I'd watch people who reach the saddest thing, I, one of the saddest sights I know is seeing a professor who's been funded, not an important professor, but he's had a lab, etc. And then the year comes when the grant organizations decide, well, what you've done has been worthy, but not that much. And he loses his grant. He's lost his self-respect as well, and he knows he's going to be given all the chores in the department if he doesn't have grants. Very sad sight. Uh, when they've spent that long, they could give them enough to sustain his laboratory for the last few years, and he'd do some useful things. But no. Very sad. Now, the next one is even worse. Some seek knowledge in order to sell it, and that is dishonorable. Now, obviously, uh, getting paid for what you do doesn't come in that category but when you're making millions or billions you better start thinking carefully about what this involves uh, because with that kind of income should come a lot of responsibility and when it doesn't you get disasters like all those Russian oligarchs having their multi-billion dollar yachts being taken from them all over the world well, they should never have built them in the first place that's the way it is. Now, I, I've done that too. Uh, you know, as a professor, if you uh, have one of the gifts I have, which is to be reasonably interesting at times, uh, people in your area who have a commercial interest in your area, uh, they, can't, they want you to do talks every now and again. And you can abuse that as I have done. 
I remember on one occasion being called by a, a company that made enteral feeds, uh, you know, the canned stuff that you get put down a tube into your stomach when you can't be bothered to swallow or you're not able to swallow. And uh, they asked me to give a talk. Now, I have a cynical streak and uh, it was only about six weeks away, so I knew that they had asked someone else who had said yes and had now bailed out. And they had probably, in effect, used that talk as part of a sales promotion and said to the, usually in my case, a paediatric hospital, look, if we get this grant, one of the things you'll get is we will provide you with a speaker at least once a year or something of that sort. And they would use me as an example. Or the other guy who I never knew who it was in this case. But they were going to... They had to find someone. Now, I had four children. Uh, we needed to go to Europe. That's expensive. I never had a lot of spare cash. And I was a cynic, so I said, oh, I don't think I'm really interested, knowing that they were fairly desperate. So the first thing that they did, of course, was double the honorarium. I won't tell you what I bid them up to for a weekend's lecturing, but it was disgraceful. But it did get us to Europe. Um, but that's not what you should do. That's not the right way to live. And I never did it again after that. Um, I had developed some sensitivity in that area that you, you ought to be appropriate in what you do. But the last one was the worst. There are some who seek knowledge in order to edify, to build up others, and that is love. I was not guilty. I didn't even, at that stage, learn the names of the 20 students in my fourth year honours class. I always got it down to 20 students by making the lecture so awful and difficult till they'd bailed out till I was left with 20 and then I made them reasonable again. Um, that's cynical. Uh, but I, I knew how to write questions for exams that nobody would answer. Uh, other people didn't know how to do that. I had one head of department who said, I know that I, I realize what you do. You haven't had to mark the medical students' essays in the last 10 years. Uh, but I'm going to rewrite your question and there's the format that it will take. And of course, then I got, I had to mark scripts. That's cynicism. And a cynic is someone who knows the price of everything and the value of nothing. Um, that was me at that level. And uh, I came home and said to Sally, uh, you know, I feel guilty. And I told her Bernard's uh, quotation and I said, uh, I don't even learn the names of the young people in my class. There's only 20 of them. She said, why don't you bring them home to supper? I said, would you feed them? She said, of course I will. And I invited them, and to my astonishment, they came. Uh, we had a good meal, uh, and then we started talking, and they didn't leave till after midnight. Because although they came from good homes, they'd never had a decent argument in their family. Especially in North America, you're not supposed to have arguments, but it's another quotation. Where there is a great desire to know, there of necessity there must be much argument for 
Argument amongst good men is but knowledge in the making. Argument is how you make knowledge. Um, these kids didn't know what the big questions were. They they had no they had no foundations to their life, and out of that, all sorts of other things started to grow. It became a regular feature, and in due course, it, it grew into what I do now. Bernard's right, but how many people in our churches actually have anything to pass on that comes in the level of building other people up rather than being taking offence for the least little discretion or indiscretion uh, in speech or behaviour? Uh, there's no charity, no, no sense that whatever you see in someone else that's wrong the first thing to say is, thank you, Lord, I haven't got that particular problem. I've got plenty of others. We're all guilty. We're all capable of the most heinous sins. We just were in a situation where there was no possibility to do it. But we could have done. Just think of walking around with a bubble over your head. That's it. With your thoughts on display. We couldn't survive that way. We can pass these things on, help people to understand. And people always remember the talk I give. Well, when I say people, some people always re remember the, the the talk on the Beatitudes that I give. Because not me, I'm simply taking Jesus' words and showing how they came to life in my life and how they've become central to my life. So that form of passing on what I've learned has given me friends all over the world, which is, you know, astonishing and wonderful. Bernard of Clairvaux knew about that and he set it out for us. Do your children know about the ways in which we should be building our minds? I suspect most people would have to say no, I've never taught them because I wasn't taught myself. So what do you do? Well, you start at the bottom end. You look at what God has given you, recognize that it's a gift and it's a gift that has to be shared and you will not have a richer vein in your life than that one. Thinking of your life as a kind of rock formation. That vein of passing on wisdom is the greatest thing you do um, by the grace of God. Thank you, John. That was really good. Again, this was part two in a three-part series. And just to echo a statement, John mentioned how the Beatitudes has, is something that he has taught and has shared and people have gained great value from around the world and become friends or acquaintances. And that is definitely what happened with you and I. I heard John speak back in 2005, my final year in high school. A friend of mine who was my Young Life leader, uh, Mark Grubb took me to see him. Uh, fast forward from 2005 to now, we are doing a podcast, and if it wasn't for that talk that he had done, or that I'd heard and had those tapes rolling around in my old Honda Civic hatchback, I wouldn't be here. Um, again, if you guys are enjoying this, please subscribe, leave a comment uh, or a review. Additionally, if you have any questions you'd like to ask John, you can look in the links in the description, or you can go to www.johnpatrick.ca forward slash ask, A-S-K. Thank you, John.